Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode is brought to you by MeBank, the bank built and supported by industry super funds. Ever wondered about getting a better deal on your home loan? Well, it might be time to get in touch with MeBank. Whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a loan that's right for you with competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So stop wondering and start saving. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now here's the show. I'm constantly learning. I don't know it all. I don't claim to know it all, but I'm, I'm always trying to educate myself because I never want to be the fool, right? Hey! This is Property Investry, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we're speaking with internationally successful entrepreneur, author and fellow podcaster, Reid Goosens. Originally a structural engineer from Queensland, today we'll learn about his journey to controlling $100 million worth of real estate investments in the United States. While Goosens originally lived on the sunshine coast of Queensland, who moved to the United States about six and a half years ago, pursuing a different career that has changed his life. I'm the co-founder of uh, Wildhorn Capital, and I've got my own podcast called Investing in the US and Aussie's Guide to US Real Estate. And uh, I currently control about uh, about $100 million worth of multifamily, US multifamily, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into what that means in the show. Um, but my background is originally in structural engineering and went to uh, the University of Queensland in Brisbane to get that degree. So I'm sure that's a bit of an elevator pitch, but um, yeah, that's, that's my story in, in a nutshell. Goosens briefly explains what his average day looks like. I'm the co-founder of uh, Wildhorn Capital, and I've got my own podcast called Investing in the US and Aussie's Guide to US Real Estate. And uh, I currently control about uh, about $100 million worth of multifamily, US multifamily, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into what that means in the show. Um, but my background is originally in structural engineering and went to uh, the University of Queensland in Brisbane to get that degree. So I'm sure that's a bit of an elevator pitch, but um, yeah, that's, that's my story in, in a nutshell. Wow, that is a very, very lucrative offer. You know, when you can say that you can double people's money in five to six years, which you don't get in any other type of investments like that as easily, you know, and, and properly being stable, I, I don't think it's a, it's a no-brainer to invest, isn't it? Yeah, look, it is. Uh, there's obviously a, a lot of things that have gone into it, um, and and I'm sure we'll get into the show uh, a little bit about what the differences are between the between Australia and the United States. Uh, and I will preface that I have not actually ever invested in Australia, so my um, I can t- compare the differences of of why they're different. But in terms of why America is is you know better or worse than than Australia, I don't I don't have much of a comment to say on on the Aussie market just because I've never actually made any money in Australia. So coincidentally enough. 
Growing up on the coast of Queensland, Goosens decided to move and work overseas after he finished university. So I grew up on the Sunshine Coast uh, in, in Noosa, or just inland of Noosa, a little place called Koroi, and I uh, went to Sunshine Beach State High, and, and my dad was the deputy principal um, of the school going through high school, so I had that sort of upbringing. Um, was hugely into, into show jumping and horses back in the day. That's what I did uh, up on the coast. We had, we had this sort of little hobby farm, and uh, so jumped horses and, uh, you know, was surfing and did all the awesome stuff that you get to do living on the sunshine coast which is a pretty special part of the pretty special part of the world and um yeah then, then i went to graduated from from high school and went to university and and thought you know what the hell am i going to do and i i thought i was going to be a vet uh but needed an op1 and i didn't get an op1 so i got an op5 and uh went and studied civil engineering instead and, and i really enjoyed that and um, and then you know moved to Brisbane and, and started a uh, uh, lived, lived in Brizzy for for obviously four or five years and then um, then got the bug and went and as they say uh, pissed off overseas. In case you're unsure, Goosens quickly explains what he means by OP1 and OP5. When I was graduating, there, there's a rankings system, one to 25, one being the best, uh, 25 obviously being not the best, and you would get ranked. Um, in in you know the one to twenty five you know top top one to five was was pretty good five to ten it's not too bad and then anything really over ten if you want to get into to a, to a decent university or decent university degree you'd probably needed to get under ten uh, in order to pursue that unless you'd have to go through some sort of other other roles or back back entrances into some some different courses so um, yeah look op five got me pretty much um, a wide slew of options in terms of what I wanted to study, but it really was just vet or, or veterinary or, um, or civil engineering, and I chose civil engineering, and I really, really uh, enjoyed it. As a part of his degree, Gunsens worked for a company that eventually gave him work overseas in London after he graduated. Part of the, 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 the program at University of Queensland uh, was that you had to do a minimum of like 90 days as a, as a quote-unquote professional engineer before you graduated. So in, in all, you know, university holidays, I was getting jobs with different companies just, you know, being essentially an intern as they call it here in the States, but they don't really call it that in Australia. Um, and it was better than pulling beers at a bar. So I was earning some decent money. And then in the final year of uni, you sort of uh, worked part-time. And that company had a sister company in, in, in London. And I sort of said to them, look, I really, really want to go overseas. I'll figure out the visa as long as you can you know, get me a job. And they got me a job with uh, Mott McDonald in London. And it, this was uh, the beginning of 2008. And uh, it was actually Mott McDonald was the head um, structural civil engineering company on the 2012 Olympic Games. So I moved overseas and, and sort of fell ass over backwards into a into a pretty awesome role um helping you know the upgrade of the Paddington station which was you know, obviously the iconic Paddington station um in order because that was going to be the first station that people would see coming off the London underground from Heathrow After 12 months in London Goosens caught the backpacking bug eventually taking out work in South France and I actually moved to the south of France where uh, a good friend of mine had had started working on the, the we call them the mega yachts, the super yachts in the south of France. And, and I did a week-long course and I joined him down there and uh, we I started day working in, in, in the south of France and on team and there's a whole stories in and around that, mate, that I could get into for the pretty much the whole 60 minutes, but I know we don't have a lot of time, but uh, I did spend uh, a good... Um, 
12 months in the south of France and I actually met my my now wife at the time was my girlfriend um, backpacking uh, on the beaches of San Sebastian in Spain. So, um, wow. so yeah, that's <laughs> it's a bit of a brief story but it's, it's, it's a pretty good one as well. So, yeah. He explains more about his time in France working on the yacht of a Russian being there. I somehow kept my job and my visa was only for 12 months in the UK. So, I was not ready to move back to Australia at that time. And, and I really wanted to just, you know, I, was, I think I was 22, 23 at the time. So wanted to go continue traveling. And, and my buddy was like, yeah, look, mate, come and give this, this thing, at being a deckhand uh, on the, the, for, the, for the rich and uh, mega wealthy in the south of France, a, tr- a crack. And, and I did. And uh, I spent probably the first three or four months just day working in the south of France, you know, living in Nice uh, and on Tibes and uh, getting, you know, walking the docks of a morning asking for, for, for work and then slowly building up a bit of a resume. And then uh, I eventually got a, a job on my mate's, my mate's yacht who was um, – I worked for a, a Russian billionaire, and um, it was it was incredible. You know, the most incredible experience of my entire life. I, I worked for the super wealthy. Um, was you know living and now, now mind mind you, to all your listeners out there, it wasn't that I was living the super wealthy life. I was a you know one of the, one of the, the minions um, slaving away, keeping clean surfaces clean, um, and and really trying to make the, sh- the boat shinier than, than the boat next door to you. And um, that was what I did for a good part of six months. And then I actually got the opportunity to travel on that yacht across the Atlantic Ocean uh, to this to the Caribbean, uh, where when it becomes winter in in Europe, a lot of the yachts head to the to the Caribbean or Fort Lauderdale in the United States. And um, I, I experienced. I was at sea for for ten fifteen. No, it was it ten twelve days. Yeah, and um, it was just incredible. Eventually, he decided he needed a change of pace. And when we got to the other side, I, I worked on the yacht for a couple of weeks, probably about a month, and then I sort of said, "Look, mate, this is uh, this is an awesome experience." But I did go to university, and I did want to use my brain, and I just didn't want to, you know, scrub scrub decks for the rest of my life. As much as it was uh, an incredible experience, but um, yeah, and then I continued backpacking around uh, America, and then eventually found my way back to Australia after about two and a half years of being being uh, being abroad. Goosens looks back on the lifestyle of his boss during this time. And the experience he had working under someone so wealthy. Yeah, apparently, he's all self-made, and um, you know, he was just in that world. But being just, I think, more the, the experiences of living in, in that that lifestyle, living in Monaco for a period of time, it was just like, wow, like you know, you can't. And, and yet, all the people on who work on these yachts are down-to-earth Aussies and Kiwis and South Africans and Americans who just you know out to experience the world. And you know, so it was very contrast of, of the workers versus the owners of the boat and the people who come in, you know, um, you know, would holiday on these boats and charter these yachts. It was just, you know, just different worlds. So, um, yeah, really, I made some incredible lifelong friends out of that, you know, 12 months that I was doing that. And, um, you know, I still know people today that, that, are, that are still in the industry and, and, and loving it. So, so, yeah. What I wanted to know is you came back to Australia after two and a half years of traveling. What happened next? Yeah, so obviously I'd fallen in love with an American girl. <laughs> she, <laughs> coincid- she coincidentally had applied for university in Australia to do a master's um, and that was probably going to be why well, I got back in what 2000 and early 2010 and she was coming at the end of 2010 2011 so um, I, I got back into the workforce as a civil engineer um, it was pretty pretty um, stark contrast to get back and living back in the world of corporate Australia and um, it really sort of I sort of had that really aha moment of like oh my gosh what the hell am I going to do for the rest of my life um, and 
I, I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur was, but all I knew that I had, I had more to give and I really wanted someone to pay me just to live my life, right? And just travel the world. So I, I sort of started picking up books and, and, and understanding what, you know, what the hell was I going to do with my life? I couldn't just sit in a cubicle for the next 40 years. And I stumbled across the book, um, like I'm sure a lot of you people have stumbled across the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was the book that sort of the penny really, the coin dropped for me. Um, it, it really outlined, okay, what I needed to be doing with my life and and my energies in order to be, you know, transition from an employee to a self-employed to a business owner to investor. And that is really where the journey started all the way back in, you know, early 2010. So, with the concepts learned from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Goosens took these ideas and started to apply them very quickly. Picked up that book um, and from there, it was, you know, the, the, I had the the, the I was fortunate enough to work and it's really when you take the blinkers off and you start seeing life in a different sphere, you know, if that makes sense. And that was, I was already working as a civil engineer with some big developers and all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, how, how do they become developers? You know, what, what are they doing that I did wrong? And it was that book that sort of sparked that interest in, in me um, to go out and start learning as much as I could. And, you know, I think within you know a couple of months I was at, you know, starting to find, you know, local um, networking events um, that, that would help in terms of real estate education. Um, and, you know, obviously my, Erica had moved to the, to Australia at the time and um, fast forward probably to the end of what must have been what now, 2010, uh, so 2011, because she'd finished her, her, her uni stuff, um, I was pretty close to pulling a trigger on potentially a flip or, you know, a lease option in Australia. I don't know if lease options are still, still, a, still a thing. Um, and But I still had a very much a bug to live overseas and live in, in New York City. And and she'd obviously finished her, her master's and and we just said, screw it, let's let's move halfway across the world. And, um, and obviously she was back in the States and we had, there was a really, um, there's an awesome visa for Australians that um, could mean that you could come and work here if you had a, a job offer. So we packed up our lives. I quit my, my, my well-paying civil engineering job and, and moved halfway across the world to say let's give this a crack and um yeah that's that was sort of just the decision again i as i said i pissed off overseas again (laughs) (laughs) second time around (laughs) second time around right exactly love it love it goosens shared with us the people who influenced his decision to begin investing in property particularly his parents my dad actually did inspire me to get into property and going back to when I picked up that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I could have got into stock investing or business investing or real estate investing. And my dad was a school teacher, uh, principal, um, as I mentioned earlier in the show. And, you know, he, he'd done well for himself that he bought properties in, a, in, 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 you know, growing markets in, on the Sunshine Coast back in the mid nineties. And, you know, he'd, he'd doubled his money in 10 years, you know, he was, well, property value had doubled in 10 years. You know, I remember him buying a piece of land in Coolum Beach um, up on the Sunshine Coast for, he was telling me for $110,000 back in, you know, early mid mid nineties, you know, and put, putting a house on it for like two or 300,000 bucks. And then, you know, in the mid two thousands, it was worth over a million dollars. Like it was stuff like that. He did, he'd done very well for himself. And so, and he always said to me, you know, a fool and their money are easily parted. Uh, and that was always a saying that stuck with me and something that, you know, is, rings true today. And it's like, you've always got to be educated. You've got to listen, listen to podcasts like this. I'm constantly learning. I don't know it all. I don't claim to know it all, but I'm, I'm always trying to educate myself because I never want to be the fool, right? So, um, so yeah, that, it, was, it was definitely my parents were 
brought me up with a you know a, a good work ethic, but also um, you know a really, really blue collar work ethic, and um, uh, they, they they sort of instilled in me some really good financial um, just basic basics um, to to go off and you know try and get my money working for me essentially uh, at an early age. The work ethic instilled in him by his parents, as well as his time working the docks in southern France, proved to be very useful for Goosens when he first arrived in New York City and started searching for a job. So what I learned with the yachts was that you know I would wake up every morning at, at Sparrows Fart and and go walking the docks and you just go you approach every single super yacht that hey you got day work you got day work no 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 no, and I got really over a period of that time working on the yachts rejection was a big thing right and you got I got used to rejection so what I did was when I moved to New York City I was like I printed out my portfolio I I, I just put on a suit I literally was just walking into engineering joints like I was just like look I'm here I want a job give me a job um, and over a period of literally three weeks I probably walked into 30 or 40 different engineering you know and, and I was targeting I was very specific I was targeting mid-level companies, you know, 10 to 30 employees because they wouldn't have the HR restriction and I could just, you know, get to see someone. And uh, with literally within three weeks, I had I had like four or five interviews and people were just blown away, like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, he's walking in and uh, who's this Australian guy? Like, what the, who's this? He's crazy. Like, but people, people dig it, right? And they were like, oh my gosh, he's He's got some. He's got some backbone, and he wants to work. So I'm going to give him a job. And yeah, within three weeks, I had a job offer. I think it was in a month of, of being there, I had a job offer. But it was scary for for a period of time because I'd put, you know, we, we we got a lease for 12 months. My 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 girlfriend Erica at the time, she, uh, well, my, now my wife, but she she had got a job pretty quickly. It was just very daunting. So um, I joined the local rugby club. I started, you know, I instantly had a bunch of mates, but it was sort of very hard, and um, it was probably. Um, ended up being uh, six or seven weeks before I sort of really got the job off. It was probably in two months in total. And I was sort of really cutting it, cutting it close with the, uh, with the visa. So it was sort of, it all fell into place eventually, but it was really cut, uh, cut touch and go there for, for a little bit of time. Coming up after the break, we'll explore how Gerson's bought his first property in the USA. Within the first year of being there, I had purchased my first property uh, in upstate New York, and then uh, six months after that, I purchased another one um, pretty quickly. So, so that's how I got my, my feet my feet wet in, uh, in in the United States. Some lessons he learnt. You know, Australia doesn't really have ghettos compared to what you have here in the United States. How he got inspired to build his property empire. How did you close on seventy units, and and how did you do that? It's in Canada, and what what like what, what, what what's happening? And he explained to me the, the power of uh, OPM, other people's money. All that and more coming up next. I'm Tyrone Shubb and you're listening to Property Investory. This episode is brought to you by MeBank, a different kind of bank built and supported by industry super funds. You could be getting a better deal on your home loan by getting in touch with MeBank. They offer competitive rates and two loan types. One with a range of features including the ability to fix your rate and have multiple offset accounts and another that's nice and simple with no ongoing fees. Both loans provide the flexibility of interest only or principal and interest. So, whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a home loan that's right for you. Stop wondering and start saving by giving MeBank a call on 131563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. 
Now back to the show. Hey, podcast listeners. Are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, then register your interest at propertyinveststory.com. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price, which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one, and I only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, visit propertyinveststory.com. Now back to the show. Within two weeks of arriving in New York, Goosens was attending real estate conventions and gaining vital insights into how to begin his property investment journey in the US. Within two weeks off, fresh off the boat, I was at my first, they call them RIA events here, real estate investor association groups. And they're all around the country and then different cities have different ones. I was at the new, I happened to be at the New York RIA. And I was just so consumed, like just this incredible content that people were giving away for you know a small door fee. I would have had to pay a guru in Australia thousands and thousands of bucks, yet I was getting it for twenty or thirty dollars at a at a local you know, monthly chapter rear event about you know lease options, flipping houses, finding the right market, understanding how to price out a deal. Um, it was just incredible, and I was just reading and consuming as much as possible. And within I think it was uh, seven or eight months, I had purchased my and, and so and then I combined that with the fact that the American market had so much lower barriers to entry compared to Australia. Um, I had picked, I'd chosen a sub market or market about four hours drive out of New York City because obviously I couldn't afford New York. Um, and, and it was just like, oh my gosh, I can pick up houses for 50,000 bucks. Like this is crazy. Like on, on paper, like how does that even make sense? I could pick up a duplex for 58,000. Uh, I actually bought my first duplex for I think it was 48 or 45,000 bucks. And um, yeah, I got my feet wet because I, I had to do it. And and the fact was I couldn't get any leverage on that because I was fresh off the boat. I didn't have any credit. I had to figure out what the hell credit was. And that was, you know, essentially a, a way that the, the, the banks say, well, hey, you know, you, we, we, we think we can lend to you because you've got this really good credit score, but you've got to build that up over a period of time. So I had a bit of money had saved in the bank. Remember, I was going to do something in Australia, but I said, instead I moved to America. Um, and, and from that, I, I just, I found a, a market that I was going to invest in. It was a four hour drive away, nothing crazy in terms of the market. It was, it was just, I had to get started, right? I, I there was, you know, that old saying, you don't get ripped by reading about going to the gym. You've got to go to the gym, right? So, um, you know, it was sort of that sort of analysis paralysis and, 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 uh, within, uh, I guess I think, I think was in, you know, within definitely within the first year of being there, I had purchased my first property, uh, in upstate New York. And then, uh, six months after that, I purchased another one, um, pretty quickly. So, so that's how I got my, my feet, my feet wet in, uh, in, in the United States. While they generate immediate positive cash flow, there were still lessons to be learned from these initial investments. It was positive cash flow from day one, but I, you know, definitely learned some lessons about what, what's called Section Eight. Um, and you know, we think is you know Australia doesn't really have ghettos compared to what you have here in the United States, but I was definitely in one of them, and uh, that's why the houses were so cheap. But I didn't know that at the time, right? And and I had to, you know, I learned. I learned some few things. Um, uh, I, on the first six months, it was going really, really well. Uh, but then, you know, the, the Section Eight tenants. They're not the most, you know, if you think you can, you know, it's $50,000 property and I'm renting, you know, a unit out first, call it 700 bucks a month. I'm not getting the most desirable tenants. So I learned pretty quickly that I probably needed to be in a little bit nicer market, pay a little bit more for the properties 
in order to not have the headaches and the turnover that I had. Uh, and, and, and every time a tenant would leave, I'd trash the place and I'd spend another two or three thousand bucks, you know, putting into it to try and, you know, make it make it whole again. So definitely learnt a lot. Um, and, and through that experience, I was able to, you know, roll some capital into more deals. And I, uh, I actually flipped a few houses in Philadelphia. Um, it was another good entry, barriers to, low barriers to entry in that market. Um, and that, that sort of really got, got me going. And, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about the story about how I got into what I'm doing now. But that was really the start of it, of it all and, and, and got my, my feet wet within, you know, within 12 to 18 months, I probably had three, three, uh, three or four little properties that were, um, you know, we're going okay. You know, I definitely had not quit my day job at that stage, but but was was well on the way to to doing something. But this wasn't the only problem he faced on his path of investment. Goosens describes one of the houses he intended to flip in Philadelphia as his worst investment. The biggest lesson I learned on that deal was that it just didn't have enough um, what's called after repair value ARV, uh, and it was just the there was not enough meat on the bone to do what I needed to, to do what I wanted to do. And essentially we bought a row house, me and my business partner at the time he was a business partner, no longer a business partner. Um, we partnered up and we bought a little row house. And when I say row houses, it's these sort of older um, houses. Think of, um, think of Paddington in Sydney, you know, where the houses separate, uh, they're separated by a party wall. There's a wall that they, they have a common wall. Um, so the, in, in Philadelphia and on the East Coast, it's very traditionally brown, they call them brownstones in, in America, uh, very, very quaint looking things. Um, and in Philadelphia, there's, it's, um, it's, it's quite reasonable barriers to entry um, because Philly is, is slowly gentrifying. Um, but, but with that house, uh, we, the houses around it, or the house next door, I should say, it was a three-storey and ours was only a two-storey. And I thought, well, here we go. We could put a third floor on this, thinking, okay, well, we're going to be able to spend, you know, $150,000, $200,000, put a third floor on it with a roof deck and do the remaining of the house and, fl- and, and flip it and we'll sell it for maybe 400 grand. We, you know, we bought the house for 110. Um, it ended up being a nightmare. Um, we ended up spending well over $250,000. We had to fire the general contractor. He was stealing stuff um, from our site. It was just a whole nightmare and it ended up taking well over 18 months to, to do. Um, we didn't have sign off from HVAC and electrical from the local city, you know, so we had to sort of rip open walls again and so show them the new plumbing and it just all poor management, um, a little bit too out of my skis with the, uh, um, with, with just trying to think I could get the, the, the proper ARV at the end of the deal. So, um, yeah, that was a lot of lessons all learned on, on that deal. And, and I, I didn't, um, I didn't personally lose my shirt, but I had I had some friends, I had some friends and family involved in the deal. Um, actually, my dad and uh, I, you know, first time quote unquote raising money, um, but I promised my dad a certain return, and and I and I and I made made good on it. So I gave him his return, and I obviously came out of pocket and lost money on the deal, but I got out of it with my with my shirt on, and um, it was definitely a lesson learned that I would never do again. Goosens discusses exactly what triggered his transition from individual property investor to entrepreneur and multi-million dollar business owner, namely through the guidance of an old friend and the use of a mentor. A friend of mine came down from, 2013 I should say, 2013, a friend of mine came down from Canada and we'd actually studied together in University of Queensland and uh, he was the first you know, guy I met the first day at college, uh, at Union College in, in U, at UQ and um, he came down to 
to to New York and we went out for some drinks and you know I was sort of boasting I was like oh mate I got these three little properties and I'm killing it and blah 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 and I think I'm looking at you know doing some flips in Philadelphia blah 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 and and he's like look that is incredible man like well done you know and then all of a sudden he just he says I just closed on a 70 unit 70 and I was like what the hell how did you close on 70 units and and how did you do that it's in Canada and what what like what what, what what's happening and he explained to me the, the power of uh, OPM, other people's money. And he was he he'd got a mentor, and he was able to go and uh, raise a, raise a bit of money through friends and family for a, for a down payment on a on a commercial asset in Canada. And through commercial financing world, he was able to go and purchase this this um this deal with uh with a lender carry back financing. So he it was just incredible to me that he was. Um, able to do that. And then he sort of explained to me further the power of, you know, uh, cap rates and net operating income. And, and the, the strategies that I was doing on my smaller properties was that I'd go in, uh, I'd buy these houses, I would put about five grand into them, maybe three or four grand into them, put new you know, flooring, lick of paint, and I'll be able to charge, you know, 100, 150 bucks more a month. Um, and and that, would, that wouldn't necessarily raise the value of the property because it was still a class as a residential on my small duplexes. But he was doing the same thing, but on 70 units. And when you do, when you increase the net operating income of your asset by, you know, increasing a uh, hundred bucks over 70 units, that increases the value substantially. Uh, and that's why in, a, in, in this, in the Northern North America, banks view multifamily real estate apartments as businesses. And so they value them on cap rate and cap rate is equal to uh, the net operating income divided by the value. So if you can increase the NOI, you can increase the value. Um, so it was just same principles, but just on a larger scale. And so I, what I did was I, you know, he really inspired me to go and take more action and really get a, and get a mentor. And because I, I couldn't do what he was doing and he couldn't have done what he was doing without getting that mentor and riding on the coattails of that mentor, you know, credibility is huge. And I'd only done a handful of small little houses. So um, I'm, I'm skipping a lot of details, but essentially that is how I got started. And I went and found a mentor and through that mentor, I was able to build credibility, build a brand, um, was able to raise money on his deals and through doing a number of deals with him, I was able to just branch off on my own and do my own deals. Um, so that's in a nutshell how I got started, um, you know, five, five and a half years ago. Goosens describes how the new forms of investments are more favorable than traditional stock market investments and how this kickstarted his new career. People are becoming more smarter with their money. They, they're controlling, you know, in Australia, you can control your super funds. Um, in America, it's called IRAs, self-directed IRAs. It's a retirement fund. So there'll be a lot, there's a lot more people looking for different ways because they're sick of the stock market. Um, they want their money in, in invested in a hard asset because of all the taxable um, benefits that you have. Uh, combine that with uh, appreciation, forced appreciation, which is what we're calling that when we when we go in and we do the units up and we, we, we increase the value. Uh, so we increase the rent. And that increases the value. There's also obviously the cash flow aspect, and then there's the um, uh, then the amortization that the, the tenants are paying down your loan. So there's a lot of positives, as you know. I'm sure you talked a lot about on, on your show, but there's a lot of also a lot of people out there looking for alternative investments and not having to do in the traditional, you know, you know, put, give your money to a, a stockbroker and some guy is going to put your money. You're kind of gambling in the stock market. So. Um, through that, there's definitely a network of people interested in, in investing in, um, in multifamily commercial assets. And through 
proper branding, through education, through creating pitch decks, um, I was able to raise a small amount of money over a couple of deals. And that was able able to kickstart my career in terms of doing larger and larger deals. Finally, Goosens revaluates the defining moment that changed his career trajectory. There's no other time we're clicking, right? You, 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 again, I think it's the aha moment where I had that meeting with my mate Scott from Canada and he was just explaining to me the power of commercial real estate. And um, that was really a, oh, oh, okay, I get it. I'm doing it on this small scale. I need to be doing it on this big scale because, you know, doing it on a duplex is not really moving the needle. Um, but doing it on 70 or 100 or 200 units, that's like really powerfully moving the needle. So, you know, uh, increasing um, on a 10 cap, say 10 cap, 10 cap rate, if you increase a dollar, uh, you increase the NOI by $1, you're increasing the value of the property by 10 bucks. So um, that is just, you know, how value, it's how incredibly powerful um, the this world is of commercial real estate and why a lot of, you know, big, big developers get into commercial because it's just so much more scale. Yeah, so, leverage. You know, that is amazing. Exactly. Tune in to a future episode where we'll continue Reed Goosen's investment journey by exploring his strategies such as why and how he sourced his mentor. I knew I had to get a you know a coach or mentor. You know, all good all good sports teams have one. You, you need, I, I sort of had done a few little deals here and there, but hadn't really achieved that financial freedom. What types of investments he looks for? We look to buy 1980s, 1990s, early 2000 built assets. We don't look to buy brand new Class A buildings. We look for the what's called Class B, and we look to go for that that value add. How his business structure works? We would raise that down payment from our investors and we would obviously chip in some money as well. All that and more in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to register your interest. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, text me your email address on 0499881040. Thanks for listening. If you love the show and you're ready to get serious about saving on your home loan, give MeBank a call. MeBank is the bank built by industry super funds famous for their competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So, whatever your investment strategy, you'll find the loan that's right for you. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.